Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and together you and I are Jay Sosh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I had to think about that for a second, but uh, I'll take it. So in this uh, in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we've been talking about the films of 2003, and we are talking about uh, relationship portmanteaus because this is our flop episode, and uh, it features one of the great mashup names in celebrity relationships, Benefer, and that is the film Geely. So, Geely. His name rhymes with really. He says it a lot. <laughs> he does. He does. A lot of, lot of name <laughs> things happening here between Benefer and Geely. Uh, can, we, can we just say off the bat, even the title's bad of this movie. The, ti- the title is bad. And I, I read somewhere, I know, Jason, you're always looking up uh, alternate titles and castings and whatnot. And I saw somewhere that supposedly they went through a number of different titles before deciding on this one, but I didn't see what any of the other options were, if that was ever reported on. So, uh, but you have to wonder what, what was a worse option yeah. that they decided to go with Geely as the title. Yeah, Tijuana Donkey Show. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a good title. I would have been more eager to see that as a movie. So, uh, you know, we've done a lot of, uh, uh, we always do an episode on a on a big flop in our seasons, and I I feel like this is the most notorious failure that we've yet covered. Although maybe maybe North from our first season would rival it, but this is not just a flop. This is like one of the all time most infamous failures in cinema history. Well, North North was a flop, but this one has actual hatred of you know. Like people have their fangs out at this one, right? And a lot of that was Benefer backlash, and uh, and deservedly so. I mean, you know, one of the one of the main criticisms is their lack of on screen chemistry, and I was shocked at how little chemistry they had. You know, considering that they're both talented actors and they were romantically linked at this point in time, it, it was very strange. But you know, uh, what I appreciate about them is that they were like, "Hey, you know what?" We're going to prove to you that this isn't a fluke. We'll make another movie together and we'll show that we don't have any chemistry in that one either. <laughs> they really doubled down. <laughs> and that, that's that's Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, for those of you who missed the Benefer phenomenon. Not to be confused with the other famous Jennifer that Ben Affleck eventually uh, married, Jennifer Garner, for Benefer Part 2, I guess. <laughs> or, <laughs> I no, weren't they Jen Ben? I don't know. I, there's too <clears> many <throat> of these little... I feel like the Benefer thing started this trend yeah. and the the gossip writers decided that every celebrity couple needed to have some sort of combo name which is really unnecessary. Yeah. Um and now I feel like any any two celebrities who date end up with this name and it doesn't work. And to so. be clear audience, while Josh and I might be hetero life mates, we are not dating. However, if you want some Sosh merch, just write in and uh <laughs> we'll get that going for you. Yeah, that's I'm sure there's going to be a huge demand for that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want one. There you go. We could uh, we could get Dave a T-shirt that he could wear while we record. Uh, <laughs> so Geely was a massive uh, box office failure. 
it grossed $7.3 million on its budget of $75.6 million. And I just also wow. want to say, having watched this movie, how, where did that money go? <laughs> I would like to know. And For a movie that is like 75% three people in an apartment. Yes, half of the movie does take place in his apartment. So that's one thing. Um, there are two other things that I can answer uh, for that. Uh, Jen and Ben, Jennifer Lopez got 12 million. Ben Affleck got 12.5. So that's a 30 year budget right there, pretty much. And they did reshoot the ending uh, because that was really the only problem with the film, the ending. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, dude, it was just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mess, Josh. It's a mess. It is. I'm just saying that this movie, even had it worked, is just not the kind of movie that should cost that much money. And I, and I guess part of it is what you're saying is that these actors were such huge stars at the time that they had to be paid this massive amount of money in order to just get them in a movie. But this isn't, this isn't the kind of movie, even again, even if it was well-made, this isn't the kind of movie that becomes a massive blockbuster hit, I don't think. Well, that was a miscalculation. And one of the most interesting things about us covering it was reading about all the ways that this went wrong, you know, and I think we do have to talk about that uh, as we go on. It's not just the final product, but the process to get to the final product. Yeah, uh, we definitely uh, I'm sure you have some uh, some tidbits to talk about there. Award wise, uh, this was nominated for nine Razzies. And, and, you know, we've been, or at least I have been kind of critical of the Razzies in many past instances, but I feel like this is one movie that probably deserved that kind of attention. Uh, it did win six Razzie awards, including Worst Picture, Worst Actor for Ben Affleck, Worst Actress for Jennifer Lopez, Worst Screen Couple for both of them, and Worst Director and Worst Screenplay for Martin Brest, the writer and director. And and to be fair, Ben Affleck's Worst Actor Award also encompassed Paycheck and Daredevil. So not only Geely giving him that award. And they later gave it the award for Worst Comedy of Our First 25 Years in 2005 and nominated it for Worst Picture of the Decade in 2010. So the Razzies getting a lot of mileage out of Geely. Yeah, let's, uh, let's dissect that. Let's start with the end. Uh, the it lost the worst picture of the decade to Battlefield Earth, and in a way, I feel that's more insulting because <laughs> if, you don't want to be the second worst picture of the decade, right? You want to be the worst if you're going to be the worst. Yeah, I haven't seen. Have you seen Battlefield Earth? I haven't. No, I never saw it. I bet Dave has though. I think I saw it. Maybe. Thanks, probably. Dave. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Really, um, I feel like that's the kind of movie that that would be memorable. Like if you saw it, you would know that you saw it. I don't know if I saw. Thanks, it. Dave. All right, Josh. <laughs> two <laughs> other points about the Razzies: one that I do agree with, and one that I don't agree with. Um, it was the first movie to sweep the big five: picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. So that that's something to hang your hat on, you know. Sure. And I do not think, though, that. The other nominations, which it did lose, supporting actor for Pacino and Walken and supporting actress for Lainey Kazan. I don't they, they they didn't win the awards, but I don't think they were they didn't deserve to be nominated. You know, that's just overkill. 
Right. Well, and really the three of them who each of them basically just show up for a single scene, they are the best things in the movie when they show up and kind of do their things. Uh, they're all they're all over the top in their own ways, but in a more entertaining fashion. So, um, yes. And the most entertaining is walking here. But <laughs> yes, it's sure. really fun to see. Um, I got to say, Pacino who we know sometimes likes to eat space, he kind of held back a little on this one, you know? And, and I was like, it was all right. You did all right there, Pacino. Wow. Your conception of Pacino holding back is, I I, I wonder what your, your idea of him going over the top is because I did not feel that way at all. I mean, I enjoy I enjoyed the scene because it kind of broke things up and it was entertainingly ridiculous, but Pacino just starts at a 10 and then goes to like a 20 in, no, in that no. scene. no. He didn't scream the whole time. Uh, you know. He didn't scream the whole time <laughs> is your standard for Pacino at this point. Well, look, he's he's made a, a good run for himself lately. He's he's uh, coming back, right? Isn't he doing things? Yeah, I don't know. We, we can we can talk about that uh, in a little bit. So this movie not only was disliked by critics, but also disliked by audiences. It got a D minus cinema score. Uh, from that the audience polling service, and again the thing with CinemaScore is that they they poll like the opening night movie, so they are polling the people who were most excited to see the movie, the people who went to see it at the first possible opportunity, and those people hated it that much. And Josh, uh, there's no better episode than to let our our loyal listeners in on a little uh, secret about CinemaScore. As you have mentioned, it is based out here in Las Vegas. Uh, yes. And our uh, dear, dear associate, uh, Harold Mintz, is one of the men who runs it. And uh, he wears sweatpants to every movie I've ever seen him go to. That's, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Harold Mintz will really appreciate that little bit of trivia about him here. But yeah, we know Harold is great. And, and CinemaScore is uh, based here in Vegas. Uh, the Mintz family owns and uh, and runs CinemaScore. And uh, those are they're, they're great people. And uh, they provide a valuable service. Yeah, we like it. We like them all. Yes. Uh, Ebert and Roper gave this movie two thumbs down, of course. But surprisingly, Roger Ebert was one of the kinder critics to this movie, giving it uh, two out of four stars. So not uh, completely uh, tearing it apart and and having uh, some semi kind things to say about it. Uh, he said. So the movie doesn't work. The ending especially doesn't work. And what's worse, it doesn't work for a long time because it fails to work for minute after minute and includes dialogue which is almost entirely unnecessary. But there is good stuff here. Affleck and Lopez create lovely characters, even if they're not the ones they're allegedly playing. And the supporting performances and a lot of the dialogue is wonderful. It's just that there's too much time between the good scenes. Too much repetitive dialogue, too many soulful looks, behavior we can't believe. I wonder what would happen if you sweated 15 minutes out of this movie. Maybe it would work. The materials are there. And I don't agree, but I appreciated that he was trying to find the good in this movie. Um, I don't. Um, <laughs> I also I, I had this quote written down from him. They didn't quite get to where they wanted to be, but the film is worth seeing for some very good scenes. I disagree yeah. with you on that one, Ebert. So I, I I also disagree. And one of the scenes that he cites as good is the 
absolutely insane monologue that Jennifer Lopez delivers about the wonders of the vagina, aye, which aye, is just aye. one of the one of the most amazing. I mean, it's good in the sense that you're watching it and like every word she speaks is just sort of like astounding. And so uh, I suppose in that way, it was, I kind of enjoyed watching it, but to, to cite that as like quality dialogue and fascinating, it, I, yeah, he's wrong about that, but I, I like that he offers that perspective. It's, uh, it, that one didn't make it into Eve Ensler's The Vagina Monologues. I'll get, no. <laughs> it was, no. it's bad and it's, uh, it, it, yeah, man, it's bad. <laughs> But and and I want to say one thing up front because we're gonna rip this movie. Clearly, we we hated it. But we've seen and the characters aren't good, Mister Ebert, sir. But we've seen both Ben and Jen play good characters similar to this. I think of J Lo in um in Out of Sight, and I think she's much better in that. And that's kind of another kind of tough, you know, uh, role where you know. She's on the opposite side of the law as on this one, but she's very good. And Ben Affleck in the town is great, but you know, he's got to play that. He can't be like, uh, I'm a New York gangster now. You know, so it's just not, this is just a misguided effort all the way around. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you generally uh, on that point. And certainly those other movies are much better and are, I mean, not only much better than Geely, which is not hard to achieve, but are actually like good movies that people should see. But again, I, I, I appreciate that Ebert was trying to find something uh, positive here, but other critics really enjoyed tearing this movie apart. Uh, Mick LaSalle in the San Francisco Chronicle said, Geely doesn't need a review. It needs an inquest. The movie is dead on arrival. Who or what killed it? There are multiple suspects. Was it the endless prattle? The ludicrously inappropriate soundtrack? The funereal pacing? The uneasy mix of vulgarity and cheap sentiment? The almost non-existent story? The resounding miscasting of Ben Affleck as a tough guy and Jennifer Lopez as a woman who'd actually speak to him? Or the bad, 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 bad writing? The answer. This is one of those murder on the Orient Express situations in which all the suspects are guilty. The result is the most thoroughly joyless and inept film of the year and one of the worst of the decade. And spoilers for Murder on the Orient Express in there too, if you've never seen that. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the soundtrack wasn't horrible. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, it's, it wasn't necessarily it was horrible, but it's, as he points out, inappropriate. Like the music is always like trying Upbeat, to sell you. Yeah. Yeah. Romantic or, and yeah. Right. Or, or sappy and sentimental when they're talking to, we haven't even mentioned Justin Bartha, who, if you think Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are bad in this movie, <laughs> Justin Bartha is on a whole other level as this uh, mentally challenged uh, guy that they kidnap in order to put pressure on a uh, federal prosecutor in New York City, because this is his brother. And I mean, honestly, I kind of felt like, I, I felt that Affleck and Lopez were impressive in comparison to what he was doing, to what Justin Bartha was doing in this movie. Look, unless you're Dustin Hoffman, don't take the role of someone who's mentally challenged, okay? And, and now they wouldn't, uh, I don't. I think we're past the point where you would cast Dustin Hoffman even, and I'm talking about Rain Man. But um, 
we know that there are uh, very good actors with all types of physical and mental challenges, right? So you got you cast someone who uh, fits that role now. This was, I mean, again, just a misguided casting uh, all the way throughout. Right, and I think even if you had cast someone more appropriate to the role, the dialogue and the actions that they give to that character are horrible. And I can't, I mean, in a way, I'm, I'm going to sort of, excuse Justin Bartha, because I can't imagine how any actor could have played that and come off well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he keeps saying he wants to go to the Baywatch and this and that. And, and uh, you know, as much as I love impressions, Josh, I'm not going to do this one. So. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I approve of that. Choice. Yeah. I feel like that's the right move. But it did remind me of like just a cheap ripoff of um, Rain Man, you know, time for Judge right. Wap- time for Wapner, Wapner or whatever it was. Right. And exactly. Like, yeah. You got the impression that Martin Brest watched Rain Man and decided he wanted to have his own version of that. And, and you know, we've talked about Martin Brest here uh, before with, Beverly Hills Cop and you you know you watch this and you're just like man Beverly Hills Cop you had that you know Josh I remember you especially talking about that opening chase in Beverly Hills Cop and it yeah. just starts off with such energy and vim and vigor and this uh does the opposite I'd say like it starts off with zero energy and somehow finds less throughout the process <laughs> yeah that is an accurate assessment Uh, So finally, Manola Dargis in the Los Angeles Times said, nearly as unwatchable as it is unpronounceable, the gangster comedy Geely arrives in theaters amid a public relations tempest. As anyone within reach of the worldwide flack net knows, the film stars real-life paramours Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, who, stung by bad publicity about the feature, have vowed never to work with each other again. First, though, the pair should reconsider working with anyone who thought well of a movie hinged on jokes about the disabled, switch-hitting lesbians, and the sight of a dead man's brain splattered across an aquarium. So forget the hype. This movie would stink even without its big-ticket stars, which isn't to say that either is entirely blameless. And we haven't even talked about the whole uh, lesbian conversion angle of this movie yet. And, then it's, and of course, uh, Ben Affleck's second one, because chasing Amy, we're now right. uh, we're now in uh, double Kevin Smith territory between that and Jersey Girl and Ben Affleck, right? And um, you know, and I I remember loving chasing Amy. I know you did too, but I wonder how that holds up now that we've kind of moved forward. But this is just, um, y- you know, they should have shown the script to a lesbian and just had her cut all the dialogue that. Uh, to put it nicely, didn't ring true, shall we say? (laughs) Right. I mean, you get the impression that Martin Brest has never met a lesbian or even really understands what a lesbian is. But I mean, it wasn't just him. Jennifer Lopez signed on to play the part. Halle Berry was going to play the part before her, right? Like there, there were people who had read this script. I mean, Ben Affleck read the script, right? So presumably he did. There was something here that um god it was just such a miss man (laughs) just yikes yikes indeed so uh i'm gonna assume that you i hope none of us had to sit through this a second time for this podcast i assume you hadn't seen this before jason i had not yeah 
Nor had I, although, uh, I mean, I, I was reviewing movies at the, at the time that this, I believe at the time that this came out. So I, I guess I managed to avoid having to, to see it, uh, for those purposes. And so, um, here I was to see it now. So yeah, I certainly, this is definitely not a movie you'd want to watch more than once. Um, David, did you see this at the time that it came out? No, I almost rented it a couple of times just because, you know, to see how bad this thing really was. But uh, no, never. Well, let's let's say one thing. And, and we might and we're definitely going to talk about it later in the season with another film. There are movies that are so bad that they're good. And there are movies that are so bad. Period. Um, right. This is the yes. latter. There's nothing yes. where you're like, oh, we could get a group together and eat popcorn and make fun of this together type thing. This is just this is just bad. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think that's another thing is that in these flop episodes, we've had some movies that are giant failures and are terrible, but have kind of built this cult following in some way. I mean, I think about when we talked about uh, I Know Who Killed Me, the Lindsay Lohan movie. Um, but this doesn't seem like a movie that has had that happen. Yeah, well, that movie's horrible, but let's go back to Streets of Fire. Well, straight right. Streets of Fire mm -hmm. is, is fun. But I, 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 I picked that one because that movie is horrible. And yet it certainly has people who are fans of its horribleness. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that that's the case with G. Lee, although maybe it is. So, Jason, you hinted you had some other background stuff you wanted to share about this one. Josh, this dropped 81% from week one to week two, um, which at the time I think was the largest drop ever in the box office as far as, um, you know, money made um, and dropped 97% by week three. But my favorite is that in the United Kingdom, it was just savaged by critics so badly that that every theater in the country pulled it after the first week. <laughs> so. I think even in the U.S., it, it was pulled after like three weeks. Yeah, that the, stu the studio just just decided to cut their losses on it and give up. Um, but that is impressive. I feel like that's something that doesn't usually happen for a movie at this level, that even if it's failing, it'll stay in theaters just to bring in whatever they possibly can bring in. And this just, it was like everyone immediately decided to disown it and pretend that it never existed. Yeah, it didn't really work too well though. So, I mean, I think also that even the title is such a punching bag, you know, that it's like you've kind of created this, pop cultural reference point before it even came out. And uh, that that is one of the many problems of the film. That it is. So we'll get into many more problems of this film when we come back and talk about our general thoughts on Geely. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 2003. We are talking about the biggest flop of the year and really one of the biggest flops ever, Martin Brest's Geely and so many things to say about this movie and where it went wrong. Um, where, where, do you, where should we even start? I think we have to start with Martin Brest and um, a lot of people, a lot of uh, actors in this film have have defended him. And I'm going to read a quote from Ben Affleck where he says, uh, Martin Brest is one of the really great directors. Most of what I've learned that is good comes from Martin, but it just didn't work in its essence. And this is where I think it's important to, to this quote. Also, the studio wanted to change it into a love story because they thought that's what people want to see because you guys, Ben and Jen, are together now. 
which is one of the great miscalculations in the history of miscalculations. So, um, you know, this was originally, I guess, like a crime story and a caper type thing, you know, and maybe that um, uh, would have lent itself to something a little less uh, horrible. I guess, but all of the crime caper stuff, I mean, again, like I was saying before, a, a large portion of this movie is just three people hanging out in an apartment. Right. I, I, I was expecting far more of a crime caper kind of thing in this movie. Not really. I mean, I knew its reputation as terrible, but I, I don't think I really knew much about the plot or what it was really about. And so that's kind of what I was expecting and maybe based on other Martin Brest movies that I've seen. And it's just not. It, it's 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 so nothing happens in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that is almost as frustrating as anything else is that at least if it was kind of in motion, if there was action, if there were, were developments, if the plot was moving somewhere, it could distract you a bit from the terrible acting and the terrible dialogue and the, the chemistry that the stars don't have. But that's all you have because they're just sitting around waiting well, for well, something. But you're you you're agreeing with me while you're saying you disagree with me because basically what I'm saying is by moving it from crime caper or action movie to this, now you've put it all in this apartment and have relied solely on the dialogue and the chemistry between the two. So I think this change of concept, um, look, everyone's guilty, but this started this this was uh dead before it arrived, I would say, you know, DBA dead before arrival. Boom. I just coined that term. That's why they um, pay me 12.5 million a podcast. But I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, at some point someone should have just said, this is, this is not the way to make this movie, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is that I, I'm not sure like at what stage of development Ben Affleck is referring to there, because I I, not, I didn't see anything, the idea that maybe there was a script that was more of a crime caper that was changed. I, I, I saw sure. a lot about, and you, you talked about the ending, how that was reshot, but the bulk of the movie, I think was what it was already. And so yeah. what I'm saying is that whatever changes were made, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have salvaged the movie to keep it in its sort of original form because it still had all these problems. Now, Josh, when you say the ending, which of the eight consecutive endings are you referring to? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I read only one uh, account uh, and this was on IMDb that was quoting someone. And so you also have to wonder like, how true is this? But I, I read only one account of how the ending might be different. And I mean, the main, we don't have to do it an, an, an point by point, but I think the main things that are important about how the ending would have changed is that first of all, the two main characters, the Ben Affleck character and Jennifer Lopez character, Geely and Ricky, would not have ended up together and kind of riding off into the sunset, which is what happens in the movie. And I think that's what you're alluding to is the idea of the studio wanting it to be a love story. Instead, Ricky uh, goes off never to be seen again, and and Geely is killed. And so it's a much darker ending. He attempts to do the right thing and return Justin Bartha's character, turn him into the authorities, and ends up in a shootout with Christopher Walken, who plays a, a police officer, a, a corrupt cop, as we learn apparently in this ending. And Geely is mortally wounded, and yet he still kind of redeems himself in a way by taking uh, Brian to the Baywatch 
and uh, letting him have his little moment and then dies. So that all sounds terrible, but just in a different way. Yeah, but I mean, in the actual movie that we watched, there's eight endings in a row. <laughs> right. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, and that's something that Roger Ebert alluded to in his review. And it, it does feel like they're, and, and maybe that's part of a product of the reshoots of them trying to sort of like move the story to a place that feels like a conclusion without having the conclusion that they initially intended to have. Yes, you you are right. This movie, and, and it's it, it also, it, it, it's like it has no conflict. We're spending half the movie with them just kind of holding on to this guy, waiting for orders yeah. from their bosses. Yeah, nothing happens there. That's true. And then they finally do, we get the big Pacino scene where he shows up as the big mob boss and yells at them and says, I never asked you to kidnap this guy and this is just creating more problems for me and shoots uh, Lenny Venito, their sort of mid-level boss. And then they just kind of leave and give Justin Bartha his freedom and and it's like what what are we what are where is the tension where is the suspense where is the yeah. conflict here there's nothing well Lenny Lenny Venito he's one of the positive points of this movie he did a fine job as that kind of mid level mob character I thought so yeah I mean that's the kind of character that he he's like a mid level mob guy in uh, everything yeah yeah but you know Josh that scene with Pacino what's so infuriating about that scene is he his dialogue references the plot hole right because like the whole reason so they they say uh lenny venito's character says cut off the kid's thumb and send it to his brother to let him know that we're serious right and then they go and they find they get into the morgue and they cut off a different thumb right and then pacino pacino's and he's like you know if you're gonna cut off a thumb you gotta have one with the right thumbprint right and it's like these are two people who who are um, uh, mob fixers, I would say, right? They know right. this already. They know that someone can check a thumbprint, especially if he's a federal prosecutor, right? So, like, it's just so um, asinine that, one, that they left that in the plot, and two, like, they hang the lantern on it. It's like, look, we're so lazy and stupid that we're going to tell you how lazy and stupid we are. Right. And that's why I feel like none of that stuff in that in that alternate ending would have made that any of that better. It it, it just introduces more plot holes. No, and it's not that the ending wouldn't have made it. The, the whole thing is, I think, tonally is misguided. And maybe the whole movie was never going to work. But the rom-com aspect, you know, shackled this thing very, very much, I'd say. Right. And I mean, you, as we've said, they don't have any chemistry between them. And there's no believability here, even as far as the characters go, that these people, even, even if Ricky, Jennifer Lopez's character, wasn't a lesbian, I would not buy at all that she is attracted to or romantically interested in, in Geely, who is this uh, absurd moron, essentially, <laughs> is this mook who doesn't, <laughs> I mean, and, and Affleck plays him so cartoonishly yeah. that- it's not uh, I mean, you don't get the sense that this guy has two brain cells to rub together. And she at least comes across as someone who's a bit more thoughtful. And again, even, even the sexual orientation aside, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't believe for a second that these people would get together. Right. She's a lesbian, but then 
you know, they're stuck in the apartment. He goes, you know, for professional reasons, uh, you share my bed with me, right? Uh, you get half of it. And he thinks just because she accepted that, like, oh, now I'm going to get the banger, right? And it's like, come on, man. Like, but um, yeah, it's really, if I was a lesbian, I'd be really offended by how they portrayed the lesbian character. Um, and again, the mentally challenged character, Ben Affleck, uh, tricks him by pretending to talk into a walkie talkie, which is a flashlight and tricks him because, uh, apparently a mentally challenged person doesn't know what a flashlight is, you know, it's but, not, but he can use a telephone to call Australia. Right. And it's, and, and it's not, you know, in comedy, there's a thing called punching down. Right. And like. I don't even think this is punching down. It's just offensive, right? Like in a yeah. um in a very misguided and unfunny way, right? Like that you could make you could make any you could make jokes about anything that are funny, right? Like or make something funny that most people wouldn't find funny, but I don't think this is funny at all. Like it's just it's just lazy, really, you know? Yeah, it's definitely not funny and ev- every word out of Justin Bartha's mouth is just horribly offensive and and he's also as you point out he's not believable as a character just like ricky isn't a believable lesbian he's not a believable mentally challenged person because he doesn't know what a flashlight is but then later he calls australia or he knows things or he doesn't know things and and i feel like you know one thing they do is they never define what exactly is wrong with him so that they can just have anything be wrong with him at any moment that is convenient for the story and that's true josh and i'm trying to give him a pass because it's there was no win there's like i said dustin hoffman is the only guy who kind of has made that work i mean billy bob and sling blade right but just don't do it man just don't take that role you know move move we got to move past that and i think we have and i think that's a good thing is like if you somehow made this movie in 2020 you would find someone with whatever mental challenges you would um that character has and you would have that person play that in a more honest fashion right right and uh um, also it's 2021 so it shows what i know so right but i think you would have done the same thing had you made this movie in 2020 yeah so mm-hmm. your, your point still stands yeah um and this was this was justin bartha's first movie how did he what survive a, i yeah that's oh what God. i'm amazed by the guy still works so yeah. um but I, I agree with you that he maybe he only deserves some of the blame that I'm sure he's doing just what he's been directed to do. And it's it's just there's no way anyone could have effectively played this. part. And and another side character moving back to the lesbian thing is that girlfriend character who's obsessed with uh, J-Lo, who just comes in and assumes that she's sleeping with Jillian is like, well, if that's what you want, then I'll just sleep with him, too. And we'll all be one big threesome. And it's like. There's no look, Polly's a lifestyle for sure, but there's no reference point to this. It's just all the most basic, shallow version of uh, sexuality that you would think about, I think. Right. I mean, and I think that scene is another one that points to the idea that Martin Brest doesn't seem to have any idea what a lesbian is like or would do because that reaction rings completely false. And as little chemistry as Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck have, it's also, there's no believability that her, that, that Ricky and the, the blonde woman um, would have been in a relationship. They have even less chemistry. Yeah. None of it makes any sense whatsoever. Yes, Josh. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, just uh, bad. I think if we can maybe talk about some slightly positive aspects. I tried. I tried. Well, I think we, we mentioned Pacino and Pacino, as I, I, I thought you put it very well when you said Pacino Pacinos. And yeah. that is what happens in this movie. And it's it's fun. He has a little ponytail for some reason. I like that. <laughs> Um, and he just kind of comes. He's like a little thing. flamboyant, this Pacino too, which I kind of liked. Is there was no reason to play it that way, but he just decided to do that. So. Yeah, another one scene wonder here. Christopher Walken, who apparently again was cut out of the original ending, so he only shows up early in the movie as this cop who's trying to shake Geely down for some information, and he just comes in and just he just does his Christopher Walken thing. And what I love about that scene especially is that Christopher Walken already has a very distinctive sounding voice, as we know. And yet at some point in the movie, he starts doing another voice on top of his normal voice as he's talking about the wonders of Marie Callender's pie. I thought and- he was, I thought that scene, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's the uh, the watch monologue in Pulp Fiction, right? But that's the best scene in the movie because Walken is in it and he he's really on his walking game, right? Right, exactly. And he's, what he's saying is absurd. He's talking something about, you know, he loves the pie so much. It's like, put it on your head and your tongue would slap you in the face. And I mean, I assume that wasn't improvised, but I would believe it if it was because it's just so random. Um, but yeah, that, that comes, uh, it definitely uh, gives you a bit of a jolt there early in the movie. Right, and, and, and fun. you know, and I think Pulp Fiction is almost a fair reference point of like these kind of ins and outs and like just people coming in and you know you're trying to have memorable just um rocket booster characters and, and walking is memorable pacino's memorable but the whole movie is not memorable so there's the that's the big difference uh there there was a good walking quote because i again i'm trying to find things where people are like you know where, to, where what can you take away that's positive and uh, Walken had this to say about Martin Bress. Marty gives you plenty of chances to do your best. It's hard when you go home at night and think, I wish I had that extra take because I could have done it differently or better or whatever with Marty. Every night I went home thinking, I don't know whether it was good, but I certainly did get a chance to do my best. And Jennifer Lopez said the same thing. He's only interested in what uh, was making, what was going to make the best movie and bring out the best performances. Although it didn't really um, affect her performance, apparently, or, right. or Affleck. So, yeah. I mean, whatever he's doing, I'm sure he's a good guy and, and you know, has made good movies. We, we did a whole Beverly Hills Cop episode and we all love that movie. Uh, and, and he gets a lot of credit for doing uh, what he did there. And, um, you know, I think that between that and also uh, going in style, his movie about the uh, kind of senior citizens who plan a, a heist. Between those two, which are, I believe, the only other Martin no. Bess movies I've seen, I was sort of anticipating some kind of fast-paced capery thing out of this movie. And it's nice that they all enjoyed working with him, but the result is still terrible. It's very bad. The other movie you got to mention with Martin Brest is Scent of a Woman, uh, you know, where Pacino wins the Oscar. And, and there's a real energy there. This one, like we said, has zero energy, you know. But yeah, and and I mean, you know, and this leads into our legacy segment but sadly this is the last movie that he made it was did did he retire was he forced out of the business dave was supposed to get us an interview with him since the <laughs> beginning of the last mm-hmm. season but uh i don't know josh we're I don't still know we're happened. still working on it yeah. yeah one other sort of bright spot i wanted to mention was laney kazan who much like walk in 
and Pacino kind of comes in for one little scene. She plays Geely's mom and she's just cranked up to 11, yeah. but she's having fun with it. And there's a bit between her and Jennifer Lopez where they talk about sexual exploration and they have far more chemistry than Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez have. And I, for a second, I was like, maybe Geely's mom is going to hook up with Ricky and that would be something I would I mean, it's a very unbelievable scene, though. Like, hey, lady, I've well, sure. never met before. Let me tell you about how I used to have sex with women in front of my son, who maybe I've never said this to, you know, so. Well, yes, obviously it's absurd and it doesn't really make sense, but at least it was amusing. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? we, we and, agree. Mm -hmm. Those look, the, if you if you want to watch Geely, but don't want to watch Geely, just watch the Pacino scene, the Lainey Kazan scene and the Walken scene. And you're, you know. But, hey, you're good to go. Yeah. That's all you need. And and you would also, I think another advantage is that you would have uh, almost no Justin Bartha at all in any <laughs> yeah. of those scenes. I think. Hey, Josh, yes. you got to admit, Justin Bartha, his hair and Dave's hair. Come on now. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did have a bit of a Dave hair thing going on. I thought he I thought he looked like Screech a lot of the time, really, especially along with the way he dressed. Rest in peace, Dustin Diamond. Indeed. Oh, yeah. If only they had cast Dustin Diamond in that role. <laughs> that yes, I agree. That would have been a that would have been a good move there. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should rate this, but um one other thing I want to say is like, you know, I think this was around the time of, like TRL was still on MTV, and they just stuffed this couple down our throat, like Benefer. Like, I don't blame anybody for going in um just being sick of them already because I was sick of them and I think we were all sick of them and just like you know we got sick of other couples and other um teeny bopper stars to use a term from the 80s slash 70s 60s right like they just got forced down our throats so much that it was just like eh, what are you gonna do what can you do let's see what you can do you know Right. And I think it didn't help that people going in with that attitude were then treated to Geely. Yes. Because, I, agree. I mean, it's possible mm -hmm. that you could have gone in with that and then seen a good movie and thought, hey, you know, despite my annoyance with these people in their celebrity personas, they did a good job and I enjoyed that movie. Or maybe even a movie that was that failed at the time because of that whole celebrity thing that we could look back on and say, you know, was not given its fair chance. But this is the absolute wrong uh, movie to try to do that with. And uh, but you're right. I think that happens. You know, I think of like By the Sea, the the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie movie that people thought of as this big vanity project for them, which is not a good movie, but is not nearly as bad as Julie. Yeah. And um, this this was a definite low point in the acting careers of both the stars. That it was so. We'll talk about that legacy, but do you want to give this a rating out of uh, pieces of Marie Callender's pie? Sure. Or I, I was going to say difficult to pronounce last names. So. There you go. Either way, we can go with that. It gets one. one. It's a one. I mean, and I, I thought like and it's anywhere between 0.5 and 1.5. So I went right <laughs> in the middle with one. One difficult yeah. to pronounce last name. I'm going to give it one and a half uh, pieces of pie because I was kind of entertained by those little one scene bits. And I've seen so many bad movies like and and furthermore, bad movies that are not only misguided, but are like technically inept where yeah. people can't even use a camera that this movie is not even in the bottom 
most tier of all the movies I've seen. Right. So it I'm, is professionally directed. But yes. mm-hmm. but for a professional director who's a professional filmmaker to put out this script is pretty bad. Right. And I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm yeah. just saying I found a couple moments of entertainment in it. So one and a half for me. Dave, what do you want to rate it? I'm going with one, and I will say I would be shocked if we ever cover something worse than this. Yeah, I think this is the lowest rating I've ever given anything in the show. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I might agree that it's it's probably the worst movie that we've covered. Although, I would say that, again, going back to, like, I Know Who Killed Me, I was found more bits of entertainment in this movie than that, which is just straight-up garbage from beginning to end. Yeah. God, if I had to choose between watching those two, what, like if you're like, you have to watch one of them again, I'd just be like, just put on whichever one's shorter. Leave me alone. Right. Yeah. I think that one was, <laughs> I think I know who killed me is only like 90 minutes, but uh, we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Geely. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we've been talking about the year's biggest flop, Geely. And uh, as far as the legacy of Geely goes, really, as much as it was sort of a product of the time and of this tabloid fascination with Benefer, as we've talked about, it has endured as one of the worst movies of all time. Like even now, all these years later, if you see a list of the worst movies ever made, it's there's pretty much a guarantee that Geely will be on there. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, I do think we're all happy, especially the last two years, you know, that Affleck and J-Lo have really come back as actors. But it's kind of a bummer that Martin Brest never got another chance after this one. Yeah, it's crazy, as you noted, and as we talked about in our Beverly Hills Cop episode, that this guy just disappeared. Not only did he maybe have trouble getting another gig or have to work with a smaller budget or take some time off, he disappeared. He never made another movie. He didn't direct a TV episode. He's never given another interview. It's like he doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, and And he could have directed uh, crime shows or something like that. And or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, and worked his way back to getting maybe a lower budget film made again, I think. Yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, that's what makes me feel like it must be deliberate. And especially because also no one else involved in this movie. I mean, maybe uh, Affleck and Lopez had kind of a bit of a rough patch around this, but they were able to keep working and eventually, as you say, kind of come back and, and get back in the good graces of, of, of audiences and critics. Um, any of the other actors, even Justin Bartha, yeah. as we say, is his debut film. And he's not a big movie star or anything, but he's a regularly working actor. He's been a regular on a bunch of TV shows. He's in all the Hangover movies. Like He's a perfectly successful guy. So there's no reason to think that Martin Brest couldn't have done, as you say, you know, gotten a gig directing, a, you know, an episode of an HBO show or something. And obviously the guy is professional, as all those quotes that you read out attested to. The actors enjoyed working with him. So I, I feel like he must have been so traumatized by this that he decided, I can't do anything else anymore. And I think it goes beyond just professional. Like he's, we love Beverly Hills Cop. We know Scent of the Woman is a great movie, I think. And you talked about how you like going in style, right? So. That's three great movies he's made right there, right? That goes a little beyond just like a 
journeyman professional, I'd say. Right, right. I th- I think so. And I mean, I haven't seen Scent of a Woman, and I feel like that's a movie that was highly acclaimed at the time and is now maybe known more as as a punchline for all the ridiculous Al Pacino-isms in it. Doesn't but, make doesn't make it not a good movie though. Right. And I again I haven't seen it, so I can't really say, but I did really enjoy Beverly Hills Cop. I like going in style. Uh Midnight Run is another movie that he made that was a big hit that I haven't seen, but certainly a lot of people enjoy. So yeah, that that again, that that to me points to the idea that he must have made this decision. And I was trying to find something about this because again, he's never done an interview or anything like that. And the only thing I found somewhere was a, a post on a on a Reddit message board uh, talking about a podcast that I, I hadn't listened to, but apparently uh, Amy Amy Heckerling is a friend of Martin Breast's, and she was on a podcast and asked what what happened. And she claimed that he's been writing and working and is sort of planning to have some sort of new project. But I mean, after 18 years, like, what could he have been? Yeah, let's do it. Right. J-Lo, I have, I feel like her cultivated image has always just been annoying and fake and the opposite of Jenny from the block. But man, is she awesome in Hustlers. Like when you give her a role that she can really sink into, like I said, out of sight and hustlers, like, dude, oh my God, she, I, she's great. Like when she wants to be great. So it'll be interesting to see what she does coming up. But then you look at the projects she has coming up and you're like, oh God. Yeah. I (laughs) think she got into, she got into a lot of these really dumb, cheesy, mainstream romantic comedies and, and a lot that were successful. So obviously it worked out for her. But she didn't seem like she was interested in challenging herself that much or taking on these dramatic roles. But you're right. She's great in Hustlers. And she got a lot of deserved acclaim for that movie. And that was a movie that not only is she really good in it, but she was like a driving force behind getting that project going. So, you know, she had good taste and good instincts in terms of what would make for a worthwhile film. And hopefully she'll return to that. But as you say, she's got, I think, some like action rom-com coming up uh, with Josh Dumel is her yeah, next project. Well, so. I mean, we know why that's been in the news because of Army Hammer dropped out. Um, and then I think she's doing The Mother. Do you know anything about that? Is that a horror? Uh, I don't know, but I, I'd be curious to see her in a horror movie. I don't think that's something she's ever done before. She did do the, some. The Cell. The Cell is. Oh, that's true. Yeah. The Cell is good. The Cell is good. And that's a very weird movie that yeah. um, involves her kind of stretching a bit. So she can, certainly. I mean, but wasn't she in Monster in Law? That was one of that is that is you know what monster in law is worse than Geely. I was gonna say I I don't I wasn't gonna go that far, but that's another one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I appreciate that you've taken that hard stance on it. And I never saw Made in Manhattan, but it just infuriated me that the premise was this beautiful woman is a maid, so no one will ask her out, or the wedding planner, right? This beautiful woman is a wedding planner, but she can't keep a man. And I was just like, I hate everything you're doing for 10 years, Jennifer Lopez. Right. But (laughs) those movies were all successful. I think even Monster in Law, uh, sadly, was a successful movie. So, you know, she kept doing what was working. And of course, she has a whole music career as well. So, you know, which, right. But whether you like it or not also was working out for her. Yeah, I know. Um, she just so. did the Super Bowl like a year or two ago, and I'm like, why is this still happening? No, but like I said, Hustler's amazing. She's great in it. Affleck came back hard. Obviously, Argo 
as a director and producer and writer. He's proven to just be fantastic. Dave, what do you think? Because we know uh, he's coming back as Batman in Justice League in The Flash. Sure, yeah. I mean, who's not excited for Batfleck? Yeah. I mean, he was fine as Batman, <laughs> but I mean, to me, that was a less interesting choice. You know, when he... His comeback was so built on him as a director and as a writer and as a filmmaker that to then just take on this big franchise role where no matter how good you are as an actor, you're just going to be part of this giant uh, machine. I was less enthused and I was actually more enthused when he decided to quit because it's made it made it seem like he could go off and do something more interesting. And I mean, we talked about yeah. that a lot. We did our, our episode on Gone Baby Gone, which is a great movie. Yeah. And uh, I, it's been a little while since he directed. He's had a lot of projects that he's been attached to that haven't gone forward. And so I hope that whatever it is, when one of these projects finally happens with him as a director, that it lives up to the previous thing. Was well, he directed done. any? Oh, yeah. He directed that one thing after Argo that you saw that nobody else saw. I think. Yeah. Li Live by Night, which I feel like, again, I think is an underrated movie, but it was not particularly well regarded and was not successful. Is another crime movie. Uh, based on a, a Dennis Lehane novel who wrote the the source material for Gone Baby Gone. Um, that, yeah, I enjoy. And I, I would recommend that movie. I feel like it's underrated. He's good in Gone Girl. He's good in Gone Girl, right? And then, Great, yeah. And I think last year, uh, very uh, maybe slipped under the radar. The Way Back is a good movie, and he's good in that movie. So I think, you know, they both have shown that they can bring it, just not together. Right. And, uh, I mean, we we briefly mentioned... Uh, Jersey Girl, where they did appear together, although Jennifer Lopez has a small, small part in that movie. And Jersey Girl, it's been a long time since I saw Jersey Girl, but I would almost go so far to say that Jersey Girl is also worse than Gila. I love that you say that. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I remember in my review uh, saying that I could not have liked this movie less if Ben Affleck had stepped off the screen and punched me in the face. <laughs> So <laughs> and that came after this. So they did that after this, you know. Right. I don't know when the time like like I feel like both of them were probably already With, shot within by a the year. Time yeah. This, yeah, yeah. But I don't know the timeline of that. But that is also a very bad movie. I agree. Um, I agree. And um and we like Kevin Smith and we know um that he responds to people who tweet at him how bad his stuff is. So I'm gonna put this in an audiogram and Josh, he could he could yell at you. I feel like so many people have told Kevin Smith that Jersey Girl is terrible, that just one more from a random podcaster isn't going to mean a whole lot. Well, not just Jersey Girl. He's made a lot of bad movies. He has made a lot of bad movies. Yeah. You say we love Kevin Smith, but we love like two Kevin Smith movies and the rest <laughs> of them are not good. But Ben Affleck and Kevin Smith still tight. I think Ben Affleck was in the most recent Kevin Smith movie briefly, wasn't he? Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Mm -hmm. And that was infuriatingly bad. I haven't seen that in part for that reason. It's so bad. I hate yeah. it so much, Josh. Super. Well, that's a good, uh, with so many, I feel like in a lot of our episodes, we have, you know, further recommendations of, oh, this actor was in this other good movie. Well, we did, we did, this we other did that. Good movie. We said the Hustlers in the Way Back recently. True, true, true. I'm just saying we have more recommendations for movies not to see in this yeah. episode than we usually and, do. And somehow Kevin Smith Seems got the brunt of it. So. He did. He did indeed. Uh, anything else about the legacy of this movie that you want to mention? How about this great Conan joke, Josh? The Mets are so bad that they will be renamed the New York Geely. That was, that's one that he said back when it happened, uh, when Geely was in the thing. I like it. It's a little weird, Josh. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else, Josh. I'm 
I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't need to pile on Geely anymore. Yeah. So that is Geely, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can check us out on social media. You can. We're at JSOSH on all the socials. That's <laughs> it's not... our jo- We got a joint Facebook account like those married couples have. Yeah, we're going to post pictures of our newborn like 400 in a row. Like They won't be doing anything different. It didn't learn anything from picture one to picture 400, but you know, you got to post it. Okay, I'm at Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter, um, and go for Jason.com, the Geely of websites, everybody. Mm, AwesomeMovieYear.com, serviceable. Um, awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Hey, really exciting. Dave, before we go on to Josh's, uh, I want to say we are nominated for a podcast award for the Steampunk. How do you say it, Dave? You tell me. The uh, Self-Made Independent Podcast Awards. Yes. Cool. So thank you for everybody who's been listening. And if you voted for us or want to vote for us, Dave can tell you. Link in the show notes. Yeah, there's a link in the show notes. We've been posting. It might be over by the time this episode comes out. So Possibly. Okay. We'll see. Well, if not... Josh, go ahead and take it with your. Either way, it's uh, been nice to be nominated, Josh. We appreciate it. It's right. always nice to be nominated. <laughs> even for a, Raz, for a golden even, Razzie. So. <laughs> yes, there you go. I'm sure it was lovely to be nominated for a Razzie. You can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where I'm sure some of those people actually like this movie. Chad, we're talking to you, Chad. (laughs) Chad was a big fan of I Know Who Killed Me, I think. Yes, he was. Yeah, Yeah, He's a good sport. Yeah, we appreciate all the support in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group. uh, You want to bet me that Chad has at least two or three J-Lo albums? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that 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 I would buy that more than that he likes Geely, I would say. True. Um, that true. seems more likely. All right. So this uh, what's in the next episode of the Chad podcast? <laughs> awesome Chad year, Josh. Yeah. Hashtag for Chad. Anyone who's in the group knows of that. Enough inside jokes, guys. Next, we are doing the Palm d'Or of 2003, Gus Van Sant's Elephant. So tune in next time for Elephant and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.